of all days that we gather to worship, we're probably more excited, have a greater expectation, and have more hope that we do on any other Sunday because it is the day that we celebrate that Satan's head was crushed. The power of the world system was broken. The power of death was destroyed. And Jesus, when Jesus Christ, God's Son, rose from the dead, never to die again. We have hope because you realize the cross is vacated. It's empty. Jesus is not hanging on that cross. He's already made the perfect sacrifice for sin forever, and he came down. The cross is vacated, y'all. And I want to tell you another thing. The tomb is empty. The stone rolled away. He walked out alive, and they have never found his body. You know why? Because he ascended back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. And I'll tell you another thing. We're excited not only because the cross is vacated and the tomb is empty, but I want to tell you something I'm excited about, that the throne is occupied. Right now, where's Jesus? Seated at the right hand of Almighty God, with all authority in heaven and on earth, with principalities and powers, under his feet. Oh, I'm telling you, the throne is occupied by one who has all power in heaven and on earth. But uh, another part of our great hope is that one day, Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, will come back visibly, bodily for his people. I'm telling you, if that doesn't excite you, your exciter's broke. And it's a reality, folks. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some false dream. Jesus Christ is alive. You know, I've got a confession I need to make today. Now, some of you will understand it, and some of you won't understand it. But it's the truth. It's a very humbling confession. But you have to make it. I realize that I cannot live the Christian life in my own power. I can't do it. I just cannot live the Christian life in my own strength and own power. But the good news is that when God raised his son Jesus from the dead... And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to come and live in us. Then the power to live the Christian life does not find itself in, within ourselves. But the power of the Christian life is found in the fact that Jesus lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said so, mo so many important things. But in John chapter 15, verse 8, he made it clear that you and I would never be able to live the Christian life in our own power. It had to be Christ in us. And look what he says in verse 8. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, spiritual fruit. So you will be my disciples. And then he says in the next verse, in verse 9, As the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. And he goes on in the next verse and says, If you abide in me, if you abide in me, and I in you, it's really in verse 8. He said, if you abide in me, go back to verse 8 if you can. He said, if you abide in me, no, that is not it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you what it is. He said, now listen to me. I'm going to quote it exactly like it is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will be my disciples indeed. He said, and then he made this statement. For without me, you can do nothing. Think about that. Before he left, he said, you've got to abide in me, and my word has got to abide in you. And if my word abides in you and you abide in me, he said, I'm telling you, that's the only way you're going to be fruitful. And he made it clear. He said, without me, you can do nothing. What part of that do I not understand? I looked up nothing. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Guess what it means? Nothing. That means that I can't live the Christian life in my own power. Only as you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and abide in him, abide in him, only then, only then will we be able to bear fruit. Oh, I know what verse that is. It's John 15, verse 4 and 5. I want you to see it yourself. If they can go back and get it, here it is. Now, now look at this. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Here's the picture. Jesus is the vine and we are a branch. Now, as a Christian, we, we're hooked up into Jesus. Where does the life come? Does the life come from the branch or the vine? The life comes from the vine. The life froze from the vine to the branch. If the branch gets broken off, it's going to die. So Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Okay. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You, you can't bear fruit just as a branch. Unless it abides in the vine. You have to stay in Jesus if you're going to have fruit. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And now this was the one I said. And it was my fault. I, I looked at the wrong one. People back there, they, I drive them crazy. I always do the wrong thing. But now this is what I want you to see. I'm the vine. If you're saved, you're in, you're the, uh, you know, Jesus is the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Now, if you're saved, you're a branch. It says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then that statement that tells me that I can't live the Christian life in my own power. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. Okay, so we understand that. Well, now, what, when you say, Brother Fred, that um, we need to bear fruit, you know, we need to live the Christian life, and we can only do it by the power of Jesus. What does it mean that we bear fruit? 15.8 of John says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I want to show you what the fruit is. It's on the screen. 
This is the fruit that God's looking for. This is what he's looking for. And this is the evidence whether or not you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. You say, well, I know I'm a Christian because I got baptized. If you, when you, if you were saved, you needed to be baptized. Oh, well, I know I'm a Christian because I got confirmed. Well, I, I'm for confirmation, but that does not make you a Christian. Oh, I was, I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. That's wonderful. But have you ever made that personal decision or, or, no, or rather surrender to Jesus? You can't live on your mother's faith or your father's faith or your grandfather's faith. You have to have your own faith in Jesus. So I, it's, not, it's not baptism. It's not confirmation. It's not being in a Christian home. He says it, it, it is the, it, this, the Christian life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the only way you can have the fruit of the Spirit is for the living Christ to live in you. Now look what it is. Boy, this is a high standard. Now, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of struggling. It's not the fruit of striving. It's not the fruit of self-effort. Like somebody said, well, I'm going to be a Christian if it kills me. Well, it will because you can't do it in your own power. Look what it is. The fruit of the Spirit, when you're abiding in Christ. I like that word, abiding. You're trusting in. You're clinging to. You're surrendered to. You're depending on. Jesus, if you abide in me, Lord, I'm trusting in you, abide, clinging to you, depending on you, surrendering to you. If, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That means you always desire the highest and best for someone. Joy, that's inner strength that only comes from the presence of God in your life. Peace, it, it's that calmness. The waves may be 10 foot high, but underneath the storm, there is a peace. And it is the peace of Jesus. The fruit that spirits love and joy, peace. And you know that next one, long-suffering? It means bearing up under. Did you know Jesus gives you the power to bear up under a heavy load? You know, some people in this room, you got a heavy load. Oh, you, you got a heavy load. And how in the world do you get the strength to bear up under a heavy load? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is of, of being in Christ? is kindness. Don't you like to be around kind people? There are a lot of mean people in this world. <laughs> a lot of greedy people. A lot of people that's kind of a dog-eat-dog society. Isn't it wonderful when you get around somebody that's just kind? The kindness just comes to you. Man, it blesses you. See, the fruit of the, of, of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit bearing the life of Jesus in you is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. Just plain old goodness. Faithfulness to your wife, to your husband. Faithfulness in your work. If you're a faithful person, faithful to the Lord, faithful in serving Him. But now look at this. The fruit of the Spirit's gentleness. What, that, that's a wonderful word, isn't it? You can be strong. Nobody was stronger than Jesus. But he was gentle. He was gentle. He was a lamb. And it's so good to be around people that are not hard, bitter, and angry. But they're just good. And then 
self-control. Wow, I wish he'd have left that one out. Boy, it's a battle. But see, this is the fruit of the Spirit. None of us, none of us in our own strength can have love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, patience, self-control. I can't do that in my own power. I've tried and str- I can't do it. I cannot do it. And the only way I can do it, it is not the fruit of struggling. It's not the fruit of striving. It's not the fruit of doing the best you can. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit when Jesus is in control of your life. And that's what the resurrection is all about. Jesus came to live in us to enable us to live the Christian life. I'm going to say three things about the power of Jesus in you. Now, I, I hope there's been a time, I trust there has been a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner. Oh, Brother Fred, I know I'm a sinner. But I hope that you realized that that sin separated you from God. Oh, that's the big problem, see. Jesus came and died on the cross so that he could take one hand and put it in the hand of holy God and the other hand and put it in your hand and bring you and your sinfulness and God and his holiness together. And the only way he could do that was by dying on the cross. And so there's a time, well, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. I deserve hell. I cannot, I can't save myself. But then you, you know the gospel. Well, Jesus died for me, for me. If I'd have been the only person in the world, Jesus would have still died on the cross for my sins. That's amazing. See, God's no, God's no respecter of persons. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's level. And I'm telling you, Jesus loved you enough. If you'd been the only person on this earth, sin, sinful and separated from God, he would have still gone to the cross and died you. It ain't no way, Brother Fred, he could love me like that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's what the Bible says. So knowing that you were a sinner separated from God, you realize that Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross in your place, and you said, I don't want to live the way I've been living. I'm tired of this lifestyle. It, it leaves me empty and frustrated, and I feel bound instead of free. And so I, I turn away from my sin. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me Wash me in your blood and to save me and to live your life in me because I cannot live the Christian life without you. So, now, if that is true of you, there are three things I, w- I want to say to you about the resurrection. And they're all very important about how you live every day. I- I'm thankful for what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but I need Jesus right now. Do you understand? <laughs> I need Jesus today. Here's the first one. The power of the risen Christ gives you power over sin. Power over sin. You know, the Bible says that it's not a sin to be tempted. We're all tempted. There's the world system, the flesh, and the devil. But it is not a sin to be tempted. But it's only when you yield to that temptation and make the choice and commit the act. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, chapter 10, verse 13. Now, you need to understand we're all tempted, but it's when you give in to the temptation. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. We're all tempted. 
No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, hallelujah, who will not allow you to be tempted more than you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, you know what the way of escape is? We're all tempted. I know what it is to be tempted, but the way of escape is Jesus. He's the way of escape. Jesus has already defeated uh, the Satan. He's broken the power of the sinful nature. And when I'm tempted, I don't try to overcome it in my own strength. I look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've already broken the power of sin, and you have victory over sin. And so it, Jesus is the way for us to escape and to overcome temptation. He's the way. And so therefore, that's one thing for sure, we can overcome temptation. Now, I want you to understand all that Jesus accomplished on the cross in his resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, you know what he did? Not only were your sins placed on him, all your sins were placed on him. But your sinful nature. He took your sinful nature. And he took it to the cross with him. The Bible says if we died with Christ, we should always also live with him. We had a couple of people baptized. You know what that's a picture of? When a person's laid beneath the water, it's a picture that their old life, their old sinful nature has been put to death and we bury it beneath the water. Then when they come out of the water, now they're not living in their old sinful nature. Now they're a new creation in Christ. And they're no longer in Adam, they're in Christ. Now the good news is, we, 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 the reason it was so easy for us to sin is that we had sin, have, have a sinful nature. But on the cross, Jesus broke the power of our sinful nature. The, the scripture is Romans 6, verse 6. I want you to look at this. It says that knowing this, you need to understand this, that our old man, my sinful nature. Listen, you know, my mother never did have to teach me how to sin. She didn't say, come on in, son, it's time for sin practice. Oh, no, 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 no. I was born a sinner. And you were too. But you see, that was that nature of Adam. But knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. When Jesus was on the cross, he took you there with him. Well, I didn't know that, but he did. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Sin has no power over a child of God. That we should no longer be the slaves of sin. If Jesus had only taken our sins to the cross, he would have just taken the symptoms. He had to take our sinful nature. That was the root. So he put our sinful nature to death so that we no longer had to have, sin no longer had power over us. He went to the root of the problem, our sinful nature. You know, when, when I was growing up, back in the dark ages, I, um, I had to cut the grass. And, um, you know, you could mow it. But back then, we didn't have weed eaters. That shows you, I, all we had was a sling blade. Anybody know what a sling blade is? Well, I'd cut the grass, and the next day, these, these particular weeds would come up. 
they'd go up and they had tassels and they'd bend over. In the next day. So I'd have to go out there and get the sling blade, just cut them down. I'd cut them down today and they'd grow back tomorrow. It was an endless cycle. I realized until I dug them up by the root, I'd be cutting them till the day Jesus came back. You see, I could cut the top off and they'd keep right on living. But I could dig the root up and I'd never have a problem with them again. So what Jesus did, he just didn't take your sins. Man, he took your sinful nature and he nailed it to the cross. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. So the risen Christ gives you the power over sin. You don't have to sin when you're saved. Now, we're tempted and sometimes we do. We're not in heaven yet. But we don't have to. The power of sin has been broken. I want to ask you a question. Does this, does this describe you? Does, uh, uh, we start in Romans 7, verse 15. And I want to ask you if this describes you, describes your life. All right? Look at this. <laughs> For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. He said, the good I want to do, I'm not doing. And it goes on in the next, uh, the next verse that we're going to read. And it says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Then the next verse says, it's no longer me who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. And he goes on. Now listen to this. I know that in me that is in my flesh, not your physical body, but your nature dwells no good thing, no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do right. But how to do it, how to perform what is good, I don't find out. I don't know how to do it. And then he goes on and says, have you ever felt this way? The good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil I don't want to do, that I do. You see, up and down, up and down. I know this is what I ought to do, but I don't do it. I know I shouldn't do that, but I do it. And it's just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And it goes on, I think there's another verse that says, Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then verse 21 says, I find a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. Okay. So that's up and down, up and down. I'm, you see, you're struggling. You're trying to live the Christian life in your own power. You do not realize that the power of that sinful nature has been broken. So you're struggling. I'm going to do good and you don't do good. And I'm not going to do bad. And I'm a, Okay, it's just a struggle. But he says something at the end. Don't miss this. Look at verse 24. He asked a question. He said, I'm tired of living this way. I'm just tired of it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? I need to get delivered from this, the, doing the bad I don't want to do and not doing the good I want to do. I need to be delivered from this. Whenever I want to do good, evil is present. Somebody's got to deliver me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Look at the answer. I thank God 
that through Jesus Christ our Lord. He realized that the only way he was ever going to get out of Romans 7, up and down, up and down, in and out, was through Jesus Christ. And then we go on to the 8th chapter. And I want you to see this. The first two verses. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Hey, if you're in Jesus, you're not condemned. Jesus took your condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not, not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, here's the key. You've got to get this. How do I, Brother Fred, not live in Romans 7, up and down, up and down, the good I want to do, I don't do, the evil I do, don't want to do, I do. How in the world do I get, get, why can't my life have some stability? This is the key. This is how you get out of Romans 7. The law of the Spirit of life, it's a law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What he's saying is, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me is greater than the law of sin and death. And so it is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ that has set me free from the law of sin and death. You know, it's, I will give you a great picture of that. There are, there are laws that, that are in the universe that if you, you may not believe in them, but if you break them, they're going to still be there. For God, you to say, I don't believe in the law of gravity. I believe you can jump up instead of down. So you go on a building and you say, I'm going to show you. I'm going to jump up instead of down. You one dead person, that's all I can say. The law of gravity is a real law. Okay, now, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is real. And the law of sin and death. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like an airplane. An airplane is held on the ground by the law of gravity. And then it has to get up to a certain, and it has to be built in such a way that the wind and everything goes under the wings. And it has to get up to a speed that, 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 that gets fast enough that with the way the plane is built, it can rise and it can defy the law of gravity. It breaks the law of gravity. The law of aerodynamics where, or dynamics where a plane can fly overcomes the law of gravity. It does. You know the most crucial time in a flight? When they get about that far up in the air. Next time you fly, think about it. I just hope this thing keeps going. <laughs> but you see, here it is. There are two laws operating. The law of the spirit of life. And the law of sin and death. But Jesus has overcome the law of sin and death. And he put the old sinful nature to death. And now, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus enables me to rise above the law of sin and death. And I'm not living in Romans 7 anymore. You know the message of the resurrection? is that Jesus Christ gives us the power over sin. A Christian may sin, but they don't have to sin. Before you got saved, you were alive to sin and dead to God. But the day you became a Christian, you became dead to sin and alive to God. Before you got saved, you were running to sin. Now that you got saved, you're running from sin. 
There was this, you know, I'm telling you, it's Christ in us that gives us the power over sin. I'm just, there was this guy who was uh, an alcoholic, and he, he, he hung out with his buddies all the time. But he met Jesus, and Jesus came to live in his heart and changed his life. So he wasn't going there anymore. He wasn't hanging out with them in the bar, and he wasn't going to those places. Well, they missed him. They missed him, you know. And so they went to see him. And, man, where have you been? I mean, you used to be there all the time. He said, you never come around us anymore. What's going on with you? He said, well, I, I, got, I became a Christian. Jesus came into my life, and he's forgiven me of my sin. And I don't want to go there anymore. I just don't want to go in there anymore. They said, well, what in the world do you do when temptation knocks at the door? He said, I let Jesus answer the door. That's not bad practice, y'all. When temptation comes, let Jesus answer the door. Because he's the one that overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil and broke the power of sin. So Jesus gives us the resurrected Christ living in us, gives us victory over the power of sin. But you've got to abide in him. Trust in, rely on, cling to, surrender to him, look to him. Jesus has got to be your focus or the world will eat you up. You have to stay, Jesus has to stay in control of your life. But here's the second thing. And this, this will really help you. That helps you, but this will help you too. You know, it's through the power of the risen Christ that we uh, can live an abundant life in a sinful, wicked world. It is through the power of the risen Christ that we can live an abundant life in a wicked and sinful world. You know, uh, you got to think about it. Uh, in John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ gives us abundant life. It's him. He is abundant life. And I believe the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, that's abundant life. But I, I'm going to tell you something. Um, it's kind of hard to live an abundant life in this wicked, sinful world. You know, it's kind of hard. You know, I found out a couple of things that I know you already know. But I'm going to remind you of them. Did you know that life is not fair? Life isn't fair. When we just look at our lives, well, it's not fair. God never said it would be. And I guarantee Jesus never experienced any fairness in his life. But then, then you say, well, you know, brother, friend, this thing of an abundant life in a wicked and sinful world, life is not only not fair, but let me tell you something. Life is hard. You know what? It is. You know, it's hard. Life's hard when you're an eight or nine-year-old child trying to adjust and growing up, and then you become a teenager, and life really becomes hard. Really. There needs to be a pill that gets them from 13 to 19. That need to be, but there isn't one. So they need a mother and daddy that will set us a high standard. But anyways, so life is hard. It's hard when you're young. It's hard when you're a teenager. And then you get into the middle, middle of life and you've got kids and a family and there's a lot of pressure on you and life's hard then. And then you get, you get old. And I'm telling you, it's hard when you're old. 
I used to, I thought it was wonderful when as a little boy I learned to tie my shoes, but now I just praise God I can bend over and touch my shoes. <laughs> hey, life is not easy. It is not fair. It is, and I'm going to tell you about another thing about life. I'm talking about living in an abundant life in a wicked, sinful world. Do you realize that life has many unanswered questions. I tell you, I believe I've got more questions than I've got answers. Well, why? I, I don't understand that. I, 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 I don't understand it. Lord, why did it happen? And, and, and you find yourself almost in a quagmire with questions that you really don't have an answer for. And then there's another thing about life. Let me ask you a question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I'll ask you another thing. Why do good things happen to bad people? Do you understand that we're living in a crazy world? But Jesus said, no matter your circumstances, I have come and I'm alive and I want to give you the power to have an abundant life in the midst of it. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, rising above the storm. For example, recently, a 19-year-old girl was driving a car. Two people who were drunk, drunk beyond knowing what they were doing or how they were doing it, but they're responsible, ran a red light, hit her, and they were going about 80 miles an hour. They were going fast and killed her at 19. That's just recently. Now, can you imagine? She, by the way, she was a Christian. She knew Jesus. Can you imagine what the family's going through? Lord, you're talking about not fair and hard. And say, God, you know. But see, that's where you have got to realize that Jesus Christ lives and he lives to walk with us and sustain us when we have all these things. Now, let me tell you a good verse to live by. It's just a good verse to live by. And you know it. But you've got to listen to the whole verse. The risen Christ gives us the power to live an abundant life in a wicked and sinful world. Here's the verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When I was ordained as a minister back uh, 60 years ago, First Baptist Church, Rock Hill, I remember this guy, Carl Latham, who was a red-headed guy, deacon in our church. He gave this verse to me. It, sa it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now get this. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, in everything you do, every part of your life, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. I'm telling you, somebody said that, the Christ, that life is not a bed of roses. Even a bed of roses has thorns in it. 
And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is sufficient in a world where life is not fair and hard and you have questions you can't answer. But you know, there are a couple of verses, Psalm 37, 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Now, I love this. He is their strength in time of trouble. Would you not underline that and put it somewhere where you can remember it? He's our salvation of the righteous, and he is our strength in the time of trouble. Anybody in here ever had trouble? I'm the only one that's ever had trouble. Some of y'all, you have trouble lying. That's your problem right now. <laughs> Lord, ain't, there's nobody in here that hadn't had trouble. Come on. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. It says, many are the reflections of the righteous. Psalm 34 but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know, let me tell you the verse that will help you. When life is hard and when it's not fair and you have questions that you can't answer and when you, 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 you just, it's just a, a, a hard place. You know what it is to walk in the celestial highs of, of the presence of Jesus but now you, you've learned also that there are the deep valleys that you walk through as a child of God. Let me tell you, you know the answer? Oh, it, it's, it, this is absolutely right. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, I want you to listen to this. You know, Paul had this thorn in his flesh. And he said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted in pride. But it was real, and it was bad. And everybody tries to say what the thorn was, you know. It's, it's irrelevant because it was a thorn. But you know what he did? Three times. Now, Paul knew how to pray. And he knew how to pray in faith. And he also knew how to pray and surrender to the will of God. So he said, Lord... Would you take this thorn away? God didn't do it. Second time, Lord, uh, will you take this thorn away? He didn't take it away. Lord, I'm pleading with you. Will you take this pain out of my life? And you know how God answered him? Let me, let, I want you to read how God answered him. He said, Paul... My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. My favor, I'm going to give you divine favor that will be sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul said, then I'll gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon you. I can say this to you. That God will either heal you, take you through the hard place, get you through and out quick, or this is what he'll do. Wherever you, whatever you get to, you will find that God's grace is sufficient. And his strength is made perfect when you're weak. 
I'm telling you, the grace of God will sustain you. But now you've got to keep looking to Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to say, Jesus, you know this is too much for me to handle. You've got to keep looking to him. You've got to keep trusting him. You've got to keep surrendering to him. But his grace is sufficient. I'm glad I asked Ed Litton this question. He was pastor of First Baptist North Mobile at the time. It's called Redemption Church now. Dear man of God and a dear friend. His wife was taking his daughter to Southern Miss to practice uh, some kind of music she was in. Ran into the back of a truck and, and she was killed instantly. And the daughter was hurt, they, but she, she, she got well. Well, all of a sudden, Ed's whole life changed. He got the call, got in his car, drove up Highway 98, got there, and the news was that his wife was dead. This is what I asked Ed. I said, Ed, how in the world did you deal with that? How in this world did you handle that? You know what he told me? And I know he was telling the truth. He said, Brother Fred, when I got there, the grace of God was already there. And I found a strength that came from the presence of Jesus that was absolutely unexplainable. Did he go through pain? Yeah. Did he go through pain after it was? Oh, yeah. But he just said, I want you to know. I've often wondered that about the grace of God. He said, but I'm telling you, I was standing right there knowing that my wife that I loved was gone. And I said, I knew that God's grace was upon me and that it was sufficient. And even though I was probably at the weakest point in my life, that he was going to be my strength. You know, the, the message of the resurrection is the risen Christ gives you the power over sin. But the living Christ gives you the power to live an abundant life in a wicked and sinful world. When life is hard, when it's not fair, when there are unanswered questions, when all this goes... You just got to realize that God's grace, his favor, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't abandon us. He's probably closer to us in our heartache than he ever is when all is well. Now, here's the last thing I want to share. Not going to take long to do it, but it's important. You need to hear it. The risen Christ, the Christ living in us, gives us power over sin. The risen life, the risen Christ, the power of Christ living in us gives us abundant life in the midst of a wicked and sinful world. But oh, this is good. The power of the risen Christ takes away the fear of death and gives us assurance that death is defeated. The grave is overcome. And that the enemy of, that we all have called death, he has destroyed. I'm telling you, he destroyed the death. You say, well, people are still dying. Yeah, they will until Jesus comes and the whole thing's over. But I'm telling you right now, uh, you, you, there's a verse uh, in, uh, that, that talks about the fact that death, it will be, it will, will, there'll no, be no more death. I'll talk about it in a minute. But you, you say, well, Brother Fred, 
So we don't have to fear death, no. Jesus conquered death. But you know, uh, it's hard to realize that we're mortal and that we're going to face, uh, unless Jesus comes back, we're going to die. But you know what I found, I believe, is the truth for a Christian now? It's not the fear of death. I really know that a, a, a child of God, deep in his heart, knows where he's going. I'm, I'm going to be with the Lord. But yet, it's not the fear of dying. It's the fear of how we die. Have you ever thought about, man, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to die. The Lord can take me any time and I'd be much better. But Lord, uh, uh, let me pick how I die. You know it doesn't work that way. You know, I think, well, you know, I'll tell you how I don't want to die, Brother Fred. I, I don't want to die with cancer. I don't want to die and to linger and linger and linger and linger. I, I, I don't want to die that way. I'll tell you what, if you do, God's grace is sufficient. If you're a child of God, you're going to find that he's there. He's there. And he's there with your family. But I'll never forget this. One of the finest men of God I ever knew, colonel in the Air Force, Walt Weddle, got cancer of the esophagus. I mean, he was physically fit. But, buddy, I went to see him, and he was starving to death because he couldn't eat. And uh, I sat on the bedside with him, and I'd been to see him before. He said, I prepared for this, Brother Fred, years ago, years ago. He said, Christ is in me, and, and all I want to do is tell everybody I can about Jesus before I go. And I, I, I was sitting on his bedside, and I said, I got up, and it was, uh, I've forgotten what day it was, but I said, uh, Walt, I'll see you soon. And I, I, I didn't know when that would be, but this is what he said to me. He said, Brother Fred. I'll see you in the morning. Guess what happened? He died that night. And guess what? I'll see him in the morning. That's the way it works. He had such grace on him. You couldn't have had a more painful death than that man had. But I'm telling you, the grace of God. See, it's not the fear of dying that we know where we're going, but it's the fear of how we're going to. You have to trust God with that. And you'll have to understand, whichever way God chooses to take you home, then he'll be there and his grace will be sufficient and you don't have to be afraid. He does not. He said, let me tell you what God just came to my mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me. I've told the Lord, I said, I know you're not listening to me, but I want to die well. I want to go and sit down at the breakfast table and, 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 and say, good morning, and boom, I want to be gone. I don't much think that's the way it's going to happen. But I wouldn't mind if it did. You know, the, the fact that Jesus is alive means that if we'll trust in him and really don't believe in him, we'll have victory over sin. And we'll find the grace to live an abundant life in a very sinful and diff- difficult world. But we'll also find that the gra- death has been defeated, the grave has been overcome, 
and, 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 and there's coming a day when there'll be no more death. In Revelation 21, 4, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. It'll take me two minutes to tell you this, but it'll help you. And so I know you can't wait for me to tell you. Here it is. What happens when a Christian dies? You know, Brother Ed and I, I don't know how it worked out, but we both have uh, crypts, I don't. I guess that's what you call them, in the mausoleum over there at Memorial Gardens. Ed and Jan have got one, and Ann and I have got one. And they've already got a name up there. I just look to be sure the last date's not on there. <laughs> that's funny to go by and see your name on one of them. Of course, I had, uh, Brother Ed knows I'm going up first because I'm the pastor and he's going to follow. But anyway, <laughs> you know, the, the thing about it is our bodies will, may be there when, if, if Jesus doesn't come back, but we won't because let me tell you what the Bible says. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said we're confident that is why we're in, at home in the body. We're absent from the Lord. Right there in 2 Corinthians 5, 6. And it says we're willing uh, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Hey, your spirit and soul goes immediately to be with Jesus. In a twinkling of an eye, you just go from this earthly tent, leave it behind, waiting for your new one, and go straight to be with the Lord, and you're immediately in God's presence. And that takes the sting out of death. I'm telling you, our loved ones who have died in Christ, they've never been better off. They've never been in a better place. They've never been more healthy than they are now. And they are praising the Lamb of God. You know what the resurrection of Christ does? It takes the sting out of death. And because He lives... We will live also.